Hello, I'm Mita Mystery and this is Healing Place, the podcast that explores how we can heal our mind, body and emotions using science-based tools and natural healing methods. Today, I chat with Mira Manik. Mira is the founder of the renowned Chai by Mira. She's the author of two acclaimed books and the soon-to-be-released The Book of Chai. Mira is a celebrated chef and has been featured in The Stylist, Red Magazine and The Independent. She's also an integrated health practitioner. Her passion for holistic wellness and delicious recipes has empowered people worldwide to achieve optimal well-being. In this episode, we delve into Mira's personal journey of healing. She shares how she navigated the challenges of a broken marriage, the diet culture, and emerged with newfound wisdom. We explore the healing power of Ayurveda, an ancient system of medicine, and Mira shares valuable health-boosting tips, including self-massage techniques, everyday rituals, and the importance of consistency and discipline for better well-being. Let's meet Mira. Thank you for joining me on Healing Place, Mira. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm a huge fan of your books, Saffron Soul and Pranya. And I actually feel like I really know your family. Having read Saffron Soul, you can really invite us into your world. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. Thank you for your time. So tell us, what are you currently working on? So I am currently finishing edits for my final book, which is out in April. No, sorry, what am I saying? Final book, my third book. <laughs> I'm going to be doing many more. Sorry, my third book. It's out in April 2024, and it's called The Book of Chai: History, Stories, and Recipes. And I'm focusing on right now expanding and growing my chai business, which is just my spices in different flavors that I supply to cafes and restaurants and sell online. Amazing. I'm so excited for that book because I I love your chai mixes. I've had a few of those already. So tell us about the importance of chai. Why is chai so important? So chai actually means tea, literal. The literal translation is tea. However, chai has become, come to mean, or chai latte, chai in all its iterations has become um, one of those drinks that sort of is combined with spices so even though when you combine tea and spices that's called masala chai we generally these days take chai to mean masala chai so chai in its essence for me is important because firstly tea has its own wonderful health benefits and obviously has a bit of caffeine but there's you know in moderation that's completely fine and secondly and there's a lot of other benefits to tea but all the spices that you add to tea, which is what makes a chai or a masala chai, masala chai, it has a whole other array of health benefits. And spices are filled with, you know, digestion benefits. Um, they're good for, you know, warming up the body, inflammation, reducing inflammation. Um, so adding spices to both food and drink can really, really help the body. Um, not only do they add so much flavor, they add an abundance of spice and flavor and sweetness and um, earthiness, but they also are, are rich in nutrients and great for digestion, inflammation, all these other things I've spoken about. So that's why for me, chai is really important. And I think the world now or the West now has come to really understand chai and be quite discerning about the kind of chai that they have. So even though what you get in cafes is very, very sweet, and in essence, chai latte does 
kind of evoke that sort of sweetness and obviously spiciness as well, people are now understanding or becoming more accustomed to more spicy sort of drinks. And therefore, so my blends, for example, they're spicier than what you get out there. And people are starting to really enjoy those because they're getting used to having ginger and black pepper and obviously the other spices of cardamom and cinnamon in their tea. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, there is something about chai, isn't it? It's very warming. It's like a hug in a mug. And it's a ritual in itself, isn't it? Making chai in the morning from scratch when you're blending the the sort of tea leaves. And do you find that it's a part of your day-to-day ritual? having chai oh my god totally i chai is part of my ritual however there are times when you take that shortcut and you put the spices in your sort of cup um of tea rather than just boiling it all together but when you boil it all together there's nothing like it because it gets infused and i love adding extra ginger um sometimes i don't even put my chai spice i just put grated ginger some cardamom and that's it so it just depends on what you feel like and you know some days i add some saffron and it's just whatever comes to my hand and I I love all spices and I love anything with spice so even if I'm not having tea for example I'll have milk with spices and that's what my chai is it's just spices and coconut sugar in a great delicious proportion so yeah Ayurveda I mean my second book is about Ayurveda Ayurveda is all about digestion and one of the key things when it comes to digestion is spices adding spices to food and drink can help aid digestion yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's so important, especially, you know, like we're living in a very modern world where we're eating on the go. So often our digestion is compromised and and, and Ayurveda, like you say, is brilliant in terms of supporting that digestion. So what drew you to Ayurveda? Ayurveda has sort of always been a part of my life because I grew up um, eating all this wonderful Indian food, but I didn't sort of realize or call it Ayurvedic as such. And it's only when I traveled in India and went to Ayurvedic health spas that I realized what Ayurveda is all about. But even then, I thought of Ayurveda as a destination rather than something that you sort of infuse in your daily life or the rituals that you do and the sort of principles that you live by are Ayurvedic. And that's that only came later in life. So even though my life was somewhat Ayurvedic, I'd sort of lost my way when I traveled and lived abroad and sort of went on diets and diet culture and got sort of bombarded by all of that and 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 did weight watches and this and that and trying to avoid this and going exercising when I'm feeling guilty about eating and putting on weight so all these things took over and I don't think I lived very ayurvedically then but I thought I was being healthy and realized much later in life that I was like oh I've just been doing all the things that I thought were healthy but actually kidding myself and actually eating all the wrong things and what I realized now was I was spiking my blood sugar by having sort of low fat high sugar foods and not realizing what that sugar is doing to my body. So I would say that I got interested in Ayurveda by doing and going to all these health spas in my late teens and early 20s. However, it's only later that I sort of realized what Ayurveda is all about. And I think that's to do with um, people around me um, and sorry, people around me because I was in the yoga world and I really, really did a lot of yoga during my years in Dubai, but also when I came back to London. And yoga goes hand in hand in Ayurveda and hanging around with or having friends in those circles there was this sort of resurgence of or interest in Ayurveda, which has accelerated since then, which is amazing. And I think that got me back into understanding what it's all about. And then obviously I wrote my second book, which is 
all about Ayurveda and during that book researching all these different principles and what Ayurveda is all about and having also done a course in Ayurveda I realized that actually the way I was brought up eating living and practicing things was Ayurvedic it's just I sort of lost my way and it was all about just going back to my roots and understanding the reasons and the purposes behind certain things. Wow that's really fascinating and it's interesting what you're saying is that Ayurveda isn't just about the food, it's about the whole mind, body and the spirit. And it sounds like, I mean, from what I read in Pranya, which I absolutely love that book, it's so inspiring with all the little rituals that are so easy to fit into your busy day. And, you know, in your book, you've written about you had some challenging times. So how did Ayurveda help you on the sort of emotional and mind level? through those challenging times? So the challenging times for me were, I was actually living in Dubai at the time or traveling a lot. And I was a travel journalist. I became an editor of a magazine, but I was actually married out in Dubai. Well, I lived in various countries, but I was, I was married at the time. I got married at a very young age. And when it was like towards the end of my marriage, obviously at that time, I didn't know it was the end of my marriage, but in the final year that I really sort of got into yoga a lot more. And it was... I guess what I speak about in my second book is rituals for happiness. And even though many of them are Ayurvedic, it's not just about Ayurveda. My second book is about rituals that can bring about more happiness. And the reason I wrote that book and what I delve into in that book and something that will always continue to help me is what helped me at that time, which is sticking to certain things in the day that uplift you. So no matter whether you're going through a happy phase of life or a very depressing phase of life, the small things that you inject in your day-to-day -day and being consistent with them is what will create those little spikes of happiness that eventually will form together or collect together to make a day of happiness, if you know what I mean. So you're kind of infusing your life with certain rituals which will bring about a sense of groundedness, a sense of joy, even if it's just momentary. And that's really important. I think what I realize in retrospect is that during that time when I was really low it was those um one hour of yoga that I was consistent with or walking in the sun or sitting and reading uh, or, or you know sitting and meeting somebody whatever those things are it's the consistency of doing those things that made me happy that really took me through that time even though that time felt almost endless and I had no end in sight for that and it really lasted a very long time. So while the things that were happening in my life were changing maybe week by week, month on month, the feeling that I had carried through for such a long time. So it's not like you can be like, okay, I'll continue with all those rituals and I'll just spring myself out of it. Well, I'm not feeling better. It's been a week. It's not about that. It's about being sticking to those little things. So even when you're going through a normal happy, you know, if I'm going right now, everything's okay. Um, but sticking to that, you know, Friday night yoga class or Sunday morning spin class or whatever I like doing. It doesn't have to be exercise. I'm talking about exercise. But it could be like a Thursday night journaling or doing daily massage on your face for two minutes. Sticking to those little things really um, bring you back to yourself and during a busy time or uh, gives you the, that those two moments to reflect and just find momentary peace. And those rituals um, are... Are con being consistent with those rituals can be really uplifting um, no matter what you're going through in life so that when you do get that dip you still continue with those rituals and that carries you through. 
Yeah. And there's obviously Absolutely. chemical and scientific benefits of, you know, whether whether it's exercising or movement or yoga, you know, the endorphins that are released, the happy hormones, the serotonin, the the fact that you sleep well, what does that do? That regenerates the body, but it also creates um, melatonin, sorry, melatonin and serotonin, both important to your happiness. So are you making sure you have enough sleep? So it's all such a holistic game and understanding how it all connects makes you realize that all these things are important on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. I love that. I love how, you know, you, you finding those little pockets of mm-hmm. joy every single day look, and looking after yourself, having that self-care. And actually, I think in times of overwhelm and anxiety, people need predictability and yeah. stability. So our brains love it. When we're doing something consistently every single day, whether it's just reading a book or going for a 10-minute walk, your brains love that because it gives you that stability and gives you that sense of control and calm. So that's really wonderful. I love that. And and your rituals are really quite inspiring. So what what are your top three rituals that you do that you love doing that your go-to ones yeah so the, the other thing I wanted to say is that I think it's not about just having the same ritual always you know that will change so I don't know four years ago whenever it was I did a lot of yoga like I literally only did yoga and suddenly that shifted and that changed and now I do a lot more weightlifting and uh, cardio and just exercise in the gym and going to classes and there's Yes, yoga sounds more ritualistic than going to the gym, but anything can be a ritual. You know, running could be my meditation or, you know, doing something with a sense of purpose it becomes a ritual. So those things can change, but and, and it is important to change them now and again. Right now, I'm going through a phase of making sure that I do sort of make sure I have a consistent form of exercise almost every day, well, every day, actually. And waking up and not and delaying my breakfast by a couple of hours, a few hours and making sure I have, I mean, I I do this anyway, but I think certain rituals just become a habit, you know, having warm water first thing in the morning, having some spices, ending the day with um, a small, um, short face, face massage with my lovely facial oil. It might be two minutes, it might be three minutes, it might just be 10 seconds, like, but making sure I do that um, every day. And um, some sort of breath work, you know, deep breathing first thing in the morning and maybe some kapalpati, which is the breath of fire, which removes and expels certain toxins from the body, but it also helps with digestion. And I love doing headstands. So that's my that's been consistently in my life for the last two months. And unless I'm on time of month, I will make sure I do that headstand, like maybe hold it for like two minutes, three minutes, um, maybe even four minutes and, and try and do it as long as I can. That's amazing. How how long did it take you to build up to a headstand? Because I know that's not any easy challenge to, well, yeah, to achieve. Think, even though I don't do a lot of yoga now and go to a lot of yoga classes now, I have done a lot of yoga. And I think through that, over the last, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years, even longer maybe, I have developed more strength and flexibility. Um, and at some point during those years, I... Um, started balancing on my head better um, before I can do it against the wall. Now I can do it without the wall, but I still use the wall to get up because I, I think I have that slight fear in me of like toppling over, but I've done it without the wall before and it's completely fine. So even now I'll get up against the wall and go again and, and take my feet off. And for the whole three, four minutes, I'll be without the wall. And I think um, that probably came, I don't know, maybe five, six years into my yoga journey or maybe even before, I'm not sure. Um, so I know I can do it, but I think it's one of those things that once you start, once you know, once you have it in you, whether it's a headstand or a handstand, 
I don't have handstand in me yet. But when there's a headstand in hand, once you've mastered it, even if you don't do it for a few years, when you go back to it, you probably still have it because you've learned how to do it. Um, so even though I don't do tons of yoga now, I I can still do my sort of back bends. I can still, you know, I still do my daily stretches. It, you know, I may not call it yoga, but I still do my daily stretches. And all those things are are, are part of yoga, really. Um, so headstand is, there's so many benefits to headstand. So, so many, you know, mind, body, balance, um, head, like hair, you know, it's, it, yeah. it gets a blood to flow to the hair. So that's good for the hair. It's good for the brain. Um, it's good for mental health. So I've just started doing that for the last two months and it's become my sort of new ritual. And I do want to be more ritualistic and more, uh, strategic about my rituals now. So while I say I do this every day, I want to be a little bit more like, okay, every single day I am doing this rather than being like, oh, today I forgot, you know? So I am becoming a little bit more like that. I feel like adopting a new practice. You want to make sure that you only do one thing, but you do, you make sure that it gets built into your routine and regime consistently every day until you take Mm. on the next one. Brilliant. So what sort of things are you looking to do in sort of new rituals or routines? Well, I've sort of, my hand sorry headstand has become a part of my life now which is great because that something I injected into my life maybe three months ago or I don't know how long but it's been about two three months and the next one is um and I read a verse of the Bhagavad Gita every day that's another ritual but I feel like a verse is not enough and maybe I should do a little bit more so that's probably something I want to start you know increasing um and what else um journaling I do I don't do strategically I do it whenever I want so maybe doing that once a week like a gratitude journal but also a general journal maybe every Sunday night so I'm saying this without even thinking about it but I was doing it two days ago after so long and I was like actually I want to make this a consistent practice even though I don't want to do it every day because I don't want I don't think I want to do it every day but I want to do it maybe once a week on a Sunday night just a quick recap and a gratitude journal Um, And I think even though I have a sense of gratitude in my life and I wake up thinking about, oh, I'm thankful for this day, sometimes those things can become automatic and automated. And when things become automated, you almost don't think about what you're thinking or saying. So rather than doing that, journaling will provide that moment of being like, okay, no, I actually am grateful for X, Y, and Z. And it switches the brain. So even if on a Sunday I'm thinking, oh, this happened this week and I'm annoyed about this and I'm annoyed about, and oh my God, tomorrow this, you know, if I give myself that, you know, 10 minutes or 15 minutes to sit down and write something, it will shift the sort of energy in my mind, no matter what I'm thinking during the day. Um, so that's where I feel like, even though I have written about this in my book about the gratitude journaling or just general journaling, and even though I wake up and I say a quick thank you for everything in my life, I don't always think about what I'm thinking or saying. So it's, it's just become automated. So writing it down will become less automated and more purposeful absolutely there is something about that act of actually physically writing it down it does shift us from our emotional part of the brain to our cognitive part of the brain so you're actually using that sort of prefrontal cortex of your brain so you are actually shifting your mindset so I think it is really really powerful and I think also when when I write things down in a journal I find that you can then look back and think on a on a not so good day and think, well, actually, things aren't so bad because last week all of these things were wonderful. So I think it's great to have that record, isn't it? Mm, yeah, it's absolutely yeah, exactly. And actually, looking back on it is quite interesting as well. So when you look back on your journal, often when I journal, it's sort of about what's going on in my life, and I want to do more of a okay. These are the things that 
I'm grateful for, maybe these are the things that aren't so great. And then that just gives you an, the ability to download things that could get into a rut in your brain. So sometimes you overthink things, but if you're writing it down, you're letting it go as well in a certain sense. Um, mm. And even though I know all these benefits, I don't always do these things. So I think my book, my second book is what's something that I feel that during my entire life, I'll keep realizing the potential of these things or the, the, the sort of benefits of doing all these things. Isn't that wonderful and beautiful that you've got a book that you've written that you can reflect, go back to and take your own advice? How that was that's just incredible. Same with you. I mean, I, I love Pranya. <laughs> I love Pranya. Honestly, I flicked through even this morning, I was flicking through it and I thought, oh my god, why haven't I made those sauces for a while? I need to go and make some sweet potato and you know, the mung patties that you're doing because then you refer to your saffron soul book, which I also really adore. So it's great when you've got those resources and take your own advice. Thank you. No, yeah, it is really nice but it's one of those things where with anyone you know you're not going to be able to do all those rituals all the time but the, the fact that you can uh chop and change them and edit your toolbox and and, and the fact that you have this toolbox tool, toolkit or toolbox that you can turn to um no matter who you are what stage of your life at what stage of life you're at it's brilliant um and i think that's what you've got to look at it as because we will all go th through dips and you know, crest and troves and we'll, we'll all go through those no matter what, no, you know, if I've been through something, it doesn't mean I'm not going to go. It might be a different way or something different that happens, but I will still go through the same emotions and maybe they even feel even lower, but how I respond to that, how I, how I get out of that or knowing when I'm in it that actually, you know, things will resurface is what's important. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like you say, having that toolbox of lots of different rituals and go-to techniques that really help to build your resilience is so important. So then, you know, when you have those low periods, this worked for me, I'm going to try this. And it might not work the next time because depending on what's going on in your life, but, you know, just trying those different tools um, is really, really important. So what sort of things would you encourage people to try people who haven't been on an Ayurvedic journey for example what what sort of things would you sort of encourage them to start off trying I would say rather than thinking about I think what people associate Ayurveda with is the doshas and that's fine because it's important to understand your doshas and knowing you know what body type you are basically there's three doshas and you want to know which you're most dominant in so that you can eat accordingly you can understand your whole um, personality accordingly really and, and and it kind of gives you a template to follow the things you should avoid and times of day that you're more energetic and less energetic rather than focusing on that look at the principles of Ayurveda start imbibing or living those and then think about you know what body type am I because I think it's the principles that are the most important the principles of Ayurveda for example are eating say three meals a day and not over snacking because snacking reduces the digestive processes in the body. So there's something in Ayurveda called digestive fire, which is called the Agni, and you want to make sure that it's kept ignited and at its optimum. So to keep it at its optimum, there are various things. So eating three meals a day and not over snacking. There is drinking water between meals or half an hour before, half an hour after, not during your meal, because that dilutes the digestibility. There is drink eating and drinking generally warm and hot things, or not too hot, but warm and sort of hot things but nothing too cold so avoiding if you can things like ice and ice cream you know the one-off is fine but 80% of the time if you can avoid cold things that's better um, 
Fourthly, having more cooked foods rather than raw foods. Raw foods are hard, harder to digest. Obviously, that's climate dependent. If you live in, say, LA or somewhere really warm, it's very different to being in London in the cold weather, for example, because your body will need soups and stews more. However, as a general rule of thumb, having much more cooked and warm foods is better than having raw foods. It's, it's, it's definitely harder to digest and process raw foods. And lastly, adding spices and um, uh, to your meals and your drinks, because that, as I said before, reduces inflammation, helps with digestion processes and so many other benefits that, you know, you can go in. There's obviously different benefits for different spices, but each and every spice will help you. So those are the key ones. And then within, within that whole gaps between meals things comes fasting. So not eating after a certain time and eating your meal, the last meal of the day early and waiting for a couple of hours before you eat breakfast as well. So there's a lot more, but these are the key mm. principles. And then within that timing is very important. So circadian rhythm, you're waking up with the sun or waking up slightly early. So rather than overwhelming yourself, can you take one or two of these and just tweak your general pattern to become better? Because once you start tweaking it, say you say to yourself, okay, I wake up at nine o'clock every day. Maybe I'll start by waking up at eight or 8.30. And then within two weeks, you'll feel better. And you'll be like, oh, actually, I think I can do 7.30 now. So it's just about making small changes, like having a slightly smaller meal at dinner time and slightly bigger meal at lunchtime and seeing how that feels and seeing if it works for your body and then going accordingly. It really reminds me of Chinese medicine. Um, you know, I'm an acupuncturist and a lot of it is about living in line with the seasons and rising, like you were saying, when the sun rises, going to bed when it's darker and having those smaller meals and listening to your, tuning in with your body more and eating more sort of seasonal fruit and vegetables, eat what's in season. And I think Ayurveda is, it operates on a very similar principle, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've written that in my book that Chinese medicine and Ayurveda are both talking the same language, just in different languages. They literally are very, very similar. Even like Chinese medicine goes into different body types, just like Ayurveda speaks about doshas, Chinese medicine speaks about something very similar. And all these constitutions, exactly. And um, Ayurveda talks about the prana and Chinese medicine talks about the chi, and they're both very similar. It's their life energy force. Um, so that and meridian points and nadis are very very similar. So they speak the same language really, and um, so it's really important to go back to these and actually integrate those practices. So I'm also an integrated health practitioner, and that combines Ayurveda or Chinese medicine with modern day nutrition and science. And I think that approach is really important. That integrated approach, because I always say this: one size doesn't fit all. And sometimes medicine and medications and allopathic medicine is the right route. But often alternative and complementary medicines can really support an individual when they're healing. And um, like you say, with the similarity with Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, even in terms of the diagnosis, I mean, we take pulses, we look at tongues, we look at the skin color, the body temperature. And I, in Ayurveda, it's also the same. And and what, what's so wonderful about these systems of medicine is they do consider the whole person and it's about getting to the root cause rather than just treating a symptom, which often medication is doing. Is that what you find as well with when you're working with people? Yeah, absolutely. If you don't go to the root, if you don't address the root, the symptom will only be subs will only subside by taking whatever medication or doing whatever you're doing. It's only going to help that one symptom, but the root cause if that hasn't been dealt with, then it will keep recurring in, in whatever way. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, what I find is that it often takes a lot longer to get to the root cause. Yeah. So people tend to, because with the way our society is conditioned, to have a tablet, my headache will go away. And it's a quick fix sort of mentality. Whereas with something like Ayurveda or Chinese medicine, because you're getting to the root cause, it takes a little bit longer to see results sometimes. So you have to really persevere with it, don't you? It's a bit of a journey. Well, so yeah, and it's also understanding that any root cause will basically be some sort of stress in the body or the mind. So if you're, whatever that issue is, whether it's a digestion issue or it's a um, headache or it's a skin issue so the the root cause will be some form of stress so how can you reduce that stress whether it's um running around and being crazy busy or something going on in your life that is really bothering you that on a daily basis you're feeling stressed by so if you're constantly in fight or flight mode that's going to affect various things whether it's your hair your skin your digestion or maybe all of those things and you might think oh my god I'm, my stomach keeps hurting i'm I'm getting bloated, I can't eat properly. But that's being caused by what's going on in your brain and your reaction to something in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I love about this, this, these systems of medicine is that it considers the whole person, what's going on in their life, the stress levels, the stress factors, where they're living, all of those things. And I think that there is something really sort of beautiful about that. So in terms of Ayurvedic rituals, I was going to ask you about um, abhyanga. That's have I pronounced that correctly? Yeah, abhyanga. 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 Because I've tried that and it's really lovely. Can you tell us a little bit more about the benefits of that? Yeah. So self massage, abhyanga, self massage, and I think even though it's amazing to get your, you know, get a massage once a week or once every two weeks, which I think is really important, by the way, especially if you're, well, no, no, no matter what, if you can include a massage in your weekly, monthly, whatever routine you can, that that's brilliant. And every single person's body is different. However, if you can do your own self-massage, that also really, really helps. So taking some sort of oil. Now, oils have such an array of benefits to the skin and the body. Um, they're a form of self-love as well. So get some sesame oil or some coconut oil. Use that to massage your feet, um, different parts of your body. Um, you know, have a quick neck massage. If you do that every day, then your the strain on your neck on a day-to-day -day basis will be slightly less. And you'll be more aware of issues in your body. You'll be more aware of a tightness where where you don't feel it. And when I don't do any abhyanga, I don't do it most of the time, actually. That's something I haven't incorporated into my day-to-day. -day, but I do do my face and I do do my hands. Um, and the feet I did, um, I did used to do, and I haven't done that in a while either. But it's so nice to massage your feet and to massage your hands. We do so much with our hands. We're constantly on the phone. And massaging your hands, you realize, oh my God, like that's really hurting and that's really hurting. And it just... Doing this, even just doing this just helps. But if you put oil on your skin and your joints and your face and your neck, it not only just feels good and moisturizes the skin, but it also helps with joints and any pain that you might, it might help prevent or delay the onset of things. Um, and especially if you're prone to, or your family or your mother has osteo or arthritis or any of that stuff, especially in this cold weather, massaging the joints and just using oil to just massage the knuckles and maybe the neck and your knees really helps to lubricate the joints as well and even though you don't think that's seeping in doing this every day it will have an impact so what I do do is when I go into the sauna or the steam room I well steam room less because it will just fall off but if I go into the sauna I'll put on you know coconut oil on my knees and my joints and just let it soak in 
Um, and so heat is very good as well. But Abhyanga is just self-massage and trying to, you know, use oil to massage all areas of your body if you can. And if you can't, then certain areas of your body, what's hurting more? Are you running? Then can you do your knees? It's that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, try, I tried it once and it was well, once or twice and it was really wonderful just before a shower and a bath like you say it does help your joints and I, I think I had an achy foot it really does make a difference so little things like that people can do can't they just uh, you know once a week if, you know before your long bath or shower just you know massage yourself with a bit of sesame oil warm it up and it's just a nice thing to do for yourself and it's a nice treat and if you have any pain pain issues and if you have arthritis or osteo any of that then castor oil is very very good so look up the benefits of all these things and just use whatever you have and just massage the different areas and see how it feels because if you for example have a foot injury or not an injury but if you've got a pain in the foot after a workout just massaging it can help you in the next workout not to worsen it you might just solve whatever the problem is and then you know in the next workout you won't be repetitively injuring that same area there's just so much we can do for ourselves if we listen to the messages that our body is giving us that little twinge that little ache that little pain it means that it needs a little bit of attention maybe just a slight massage or a rest even so yeah no that's great thank you thank you for sharing that so tell us a little bit more about your new book because I'm really excited about that I didn't know there was another book coming so we all need to hear about this. Thank you. No, yeah, my third book is very, very, each of my books have been very different to the previous one. So my first was a cookbook on healthy Indian inspired food and heritage family recipes, plus my own takes on it. And my second book was a book on Ayurveda. Um, again, recipes, but not like illustrate I mean not sorry no photographs. And it wasn't just about recipes. The recipes was just a part of it. And the third book is a book on chai so my brand is obviously chai spices and chai spice blends and this book isn't to do with the brand but it obviously is to do with what I love which is spices and chai and it's called the book of chai history stories and recipes and there's a lot of history I've done a lot of research into how chai became chai in India which is really fascinating um, and what tea is and what chai spices are and how the blend came about and even though there's no real record of how it was all kind of came about but it's interesting to kind of decipher when and how that might have happened and then there's a lot of stories of my own travels around India and my family's sort of bringing in my grandparents' stories as well. And each and every story is woven around chai. So it's sort of a, an ode to my old travel writing days because I used to be a travel journalist. So it, it's sort of a lot of travel writing, but all centered around chai and India. Oh, wow. I really cannot wait to read that book. So is it about recipes as well? It sounds it sounds magical. It's got about 60 recipes and there's a lot of regional chai recipes in different parts of India, what kind of chais they do. However, there's also a lot of uh, recipes of snacks you can have with chai, so savoury snacks. And then a whole section on recipes, uh, sweet recipes that you can infuse your recipes with different spices. So for example, a chai porridge or chai spice apple muffins or that sort of thing so there's a whole sweet recipe thing and there's a whole savory recipe section and then there's a whole chai recipe section and there's loads of stories as well which is going to transport us to india and and you do that so well in your books because you. you really do take us into that world and i'm so excited to read that thank you so much 
Did you go to Mumbai for this book? Because I, I saw some Instagram posts of you drinking chai in Mumbai in various places. I thought, wow, that looks magical. Well, luckily, I get to go. I go to India generally anyway. So it was nice to do some element of research or living in certain things in this book in India. So I wrote some of it actually while I was in Goa and some of it while I was in Mumbai. But also when I wrote the book, there were certain teas that I discovered while I was writing it. I mean, I was writing in London and I discovered certain teas which I hadn't tried in India. So I thought, oh, since I'm in Mumbai, let me go try them. So there's one called Nagori Chai, which I didn't even know existed. But there are stalls that sell specifically that tea, which I really didn't take to because it's basically overboiling the milk. So it becomes like almost thick like cream. And I was like, oh, I can't even take a sip of this. I felt like, oh my God, I can't gulp this down. <laughs> but people love it. And then obviously the Parsi sort of cafes where they serve, you know, these incredible old, well, uh, these snacks with in these Irani cafes with the chai, the sort yeah. of buttered bread. And it's just interesting to see all these things come to life because even though I've been to Bombay so many times, there are parts of, whether it's teas or certain foods that I haven't discovered that also speak a whole of volumes of culture and history. Yeah. So that I that part I found really fascinating and how each tea has its own set of stories and uh, cultural um, what do you call it? Nuances. So I did do some research in India, and I think a lot of the book is research in India. Without me even writing the book, I was going to India a lot anyway, and I I feel like I actually lived in India, um, on and off. So yeah, some there's a lot of that that packed into it, and I feel well. You'll you'll tell me when you read it. But I do feel like I brought India to life in a in a different way, and I I hope I hope this is sort of my best writing yet. Wow, I really can't wait to read it. And I feel just talking with you, I feel like you've brought India to life. I'm so excited. I'm going to pre-order it today. Is it, is it available to yeah. pre-order now? Yeah, it's it? available to pre-order, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'm definitely pre-ordering that right now. And it's out in, when is it out? April, 18th of April, 24. Wow. I'm really excited about that. I mean, it's um, the cover. The publisher's done a great cover and I really, really like it. And I think sometimes with books like this, well, with any book, but especially with a book that doesn't have photographs inside it, the cover's so much more important. So, yeah, um, yeah very excited about that. I'm really excited, but it, it's timeless as well. And it's something that I haven't seen anywhere. And I, I love chai. And, I, and I, think, I think lots of people love chai around the world. So, and to find new recipes and the history around it, that's just, uh, thank you for writing that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Very excited to put that out into the world. So a little bit of time to go, but a lot of preparation to do. Yeah, I mean, I know writing a book is never easy. So I can just you imagine. That yeah, exactly. I can just imagine the process. So what was the highlight of writing that book? What did you enjoy about I it? I would say the highlight was my travel writing because I love travel writing and bring that to life. However, I did really enjoy, even though I found it hard, the process of researching the history of tea and chai, because even though I'm no historian um, and it's difficult to figure out facts from, from myth myths, um, that have fe feel like they've become facts. I really found it fascinating researching the chai history and figuring out my own sort of, sort of take on it. Um, so I, I've enjoyed I've, I've enjoyed every element of it. The recipe side, yes, also, but probably not as much as the story side because I really just rediscovered my love for travel writing and and bringing places and people and things to life. Amazing. Can we expect to see more travel writing from you then? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I saw, I do bring in a fair bit of writing 
in my posts, but yeah, I don't focus on travel writing. I do like it. I don't know. I don't know what's next, but I think for now I'm focusing on my business and um, and chai, 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 spice it, spice it, spice it. Chai, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I need to, I feel like it's all staggered, but this book brings together all those passions, my, my passion for chai, my passion for India, my passion for spices yeah. and the health benefits of those things, all that, so many things, yeah. And your passion for travel, it's all, you know, that that's just everything in one one place it's yeah. just great and in the passion speaking volumes on your face and in your smile it's just really lovely to see I really am very excited about that book and it's clearly that's what makes your heart sing isn't it I was about to ask you what makes your heart sing what one thing makes your heart sing yeah I think yes it's all these things really family history yeah. st- India stories uh travel chai <laughs> great <laughs> health wellness all these things yeah all of these things are fantastic. So what are you most curious about right now in terms of the, the wellness sphere? Is there, is there an area that you'd like to explore or know more about? I'm intrigued by the whole research on longevity and, you know, the things you can do for living optimally, not just healthily. And there's so much happening in that um, in that sphere and that sort of um, research and things that you can do. And there's so much that I still haven't discovered that I, I, I hear about. And I know people in that space. And I think that area I want to explore a lot more. I think my passion for health and wellness is probably primary right now in, in terms of out of all the different things that I do. And I am very interested in how the research on longevity as well as also just making sure that I live in a more harmonious way, but also make sure that I feel my best as opposed to just feel good. Um, and that's what my, I'm doing two retreats in April, no, May and June most likely. And both those retreats are going, going to be called Creating the Ultimate You or Create the Ultimate You. And that's what I'm focusing on in those retreats, which is what do you need to create ultimate you? What is your ultimate you? What does it look like and how does it feel? And feeling like that almost every day, of course we'll go through dips, but does your body feel great? Do you feel great? Does your energy feel great? And if if all those three things are ticked and also how do you get to that stage? Because it's not just, okay, I've tweaked a couple of things and next week I feel better. It's not about that. It's about working at it. And in two years time, you might even feel younger than you feel today. In five years time, you might even feel even younger. Like my energy right now is better than it was, I don't know, three, four years ago, I think. Um, I feel better. But what is that because of? It's because I've been working on myself and doing various things consistently to get myself to the stage. But that doesn't mean I feel like this every single day. So how do you create that ultimate you? And how do you feel your optimum? Yeah, that sounds absolutely fascinating and something that I think a lot of people will be interested in and sort of what are the steps to get there to feel great. And that whole longevity, is it's not just about that quick fix. We keep going back to this quick fix because I think we are living in a society where everything is about that. So I think people want that longevity and, and that process. And, well, and it's, that it's different roadmap. words for the same thing. So longevity is a new word for possibly for anti-aging. And Ayurveda is about keeping young. So it's all, whether it's anti-aging, keeping youthful, um, longevity, all these things are speaking from the same hymn sheet. And what are the things yeah. that you can do? But obviously in the research for longevity, there's so many new things that have come about 
And it's all very fascinating how to, not how to extend your life in a sense that you are extending your life, but how do you live in yeah. the most like youthful way? And how, how do you have that childlike energy sustained mm. through life? And I think with, what fascinates me about that actually, and is, is, it is very interesting, is I think our ancestors have a lot of those answers. Because if you look at them, a lot of them lived for many years, but also that sort of past to enlightenment. I completely agree. We need to go back to eating the way they did. We need to go back to just basic stuff. We need to go back to not eating out and just eating cooked home. Okay, obviously the odd time you can eat out, but I really avoid eating out because those are the things that will create lack of routine and too many surprises in your body. Um, and also being more planned and strategic about what you're having and mm. being more mindful about what you're putting into your body when you're out about and about as well so you know can you anticipate those dips in energy where you're just going to be like I need that chocolate and can you anticipate that and make sure that you have something handy so that you're not going to be like that or what is your if you don't have discipline then what's what's your next go-to and can you instill some level of discipline that's only one thing but there's so many other things like when you wake up in the morning and I just don't feel like doing that class today I just don't feel like doing that headstand or movement so what can you do to just make sure they overcome those mental blocks I don't want to go for that run today whatever those things are you know even if it's just putting your feet on the ground and touching the earth's surface if that's the one thing that you're doing and making sure you do that and overcoming the mental block that you're like oh, I don't want to go out today I don't want to have that hot water with my uh, ginger today it, it's those be, being consistent with those is actually harder than you think yeah and I love what you've just said there but even if you don't do that headstand but you get outside and put your bare feet on the ground that is still beneficial because we know there's thousands of well not thousands hundreds of acupuncture points on your feet and then you've got the uh, the energy of the earth which then energizes your your body and neutralizes those atoms in the body so yeah no even that's great so all of that's wonderful yeah yeah really lovely so just to round off is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners you you've been absolutely amazing i've just loved this conversation with you it's been so insightful thank you no i think that covers so much and i obviously there's loads more that i can go into and i'd love to um but in a podcast i feel like i've covered various elements of what i do and what i love and enjoy and hopefully ho hopefully sparked some inspiration of wellness health and um, energy I guess yeah I think you have so thank you for that thank you for having me I love this conversation with Mira I feel inspired by her story of personal healing and how finding moments of joy during dark times can really help you to reach better days as Mira says the power of rituals lies in their adaptability and experimenting with different practices allows you to create a personalized toolkit for boosting your peace and harmony. I hope this conversation has inspired you to try a ritual and that the wisdom of Ayurveda offers hope if you'd like to address the root causes of imbalances. I'll be back next week with another fantastic guest so please make sure you're back here by following the podcast on Spotify or Apple. And if you've enjoyed this episode, then please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share with a friend who might find it helpful. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.